usually we don't do, we're, we're trying to get rid of announcements in, in here, but when you have the microphone, you have a certain level of veto power. It's immense. So I have two things I wanted to quickly let you know about. We are, I'm so, this summer, I'm really excited about this class, Celebration of Discipline. We're starting June 11 and 12, and there's sign-ups in the lobby. And the reason that I want to mention that is we have, one, we have limited space, and two, I need to be able to buy books. Uh, and so I need to know who is planning to come to that and who is not. So, uh, no, you know, you're not in any kind of list if you don't come. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite classes to do, and we will do it again. So if you can't make time this summer, totally understand that, and we would love to have you. The other thing is, starting on June 2nd, June 1st, which one's Sunday? First. Thanks, Kay. June 1st, we're doing a little luau, and so don't make me the only person in here wearing a Hawaiian shirt, because I will look ridiculous. And we're kicking off a series called What is Church? And we're going to be doing that all summer long. And one of the things I was thinking about with that is I thought, I might ask questions that you wouldn't ask as far as that goes. And the other thing is, you might ask questions that I might not think to ask. And so I would love it if you have questions that pertain to what is church. If you would write that on your comment card, the comment cards are in, you know, the uh, seat. We don't do pews. The seat in front of you. And drop that in the box out there. You don't have to put your contact info you don't have to put anything else, so there's no judgment on what, what question you want to ask. But I would love it if we could have kind of an ongoing dialogue about what is church as we're getting to that. And so probably through the end of June, I'll take questions and, and try to put those into the sermon somehow. But, but I would love to be able to kind of have a back and forth dialogue about that question because it's, it's a tough question. What is church? We don't know. We'll have to find out. So <laughs> Part of the journey is the end, right? So some of you have been in the middle of the Australian outback for three weeks, and you don't have any idea what this is about. Some of you may have been sleeping for three weeks, and you don't know what this is about. But for the rest of us, we live in a world connected to the internet, right? And so there's this movie that came out three weeks ago, and it took 11 days for this movie to pass $2 billion, which is insane, right? Previously, the previous record, record holder for passing $2 billion was Avatar, and Avatar took 47 days to pass $2 billion. So this movie did it in 11 days. It is so crazy. And, and, and so this movie came out a couple weeks ago, and I have to admit, I loved it. <laughs> I loved every, thank you, I loved every bit of it, and I loved it every bit the second time I saw it too. <laughs> And so I'm doing my part. Don't spend any money on Avatar. We can't make that ceiling any higher. We've got to pass Avatar before this is over. So I'm talking, of course, about Avengers Endgame. And so this movie came out a, a couple weeks ago, and I was fooling around on the Internet, and I saw this Marvel meme, and people were just saying, how do you find purpose after Endgame finally came out? And, and I realized, <laughs> I know, you guys are all right there with me. I realized... I had been kind of in a funk after this movie came out. I've been kind of <laughs> grieving a little bit. And, and so to, <laughs> to understand, for those of you that just think I'm ridiculous, this is the end of a 22-movie arc that started in 2008. And so, so that's a big deal. This is a lot of movies that have kind of come to a head, and this is the end of that story. And so I'm not spoiling anything. This is the official marketing from that, although I saw a clip where a youth minister at this huge church spoiled the movie for all these youth, and so he probably lost his job, I don't know, <laughs> but, 
So this is a 22-movie arc, and, and I found myself in kind of this funk, and I was really sad, and that seems really silly, right? <laughs> but you need to know a little bit more about me. So flash way back, way, way back to the early 90s, right? I thought that was going to be funny, but uh, <laughs> there were mullets on TV. Mullets were popular. Remember mullets? And people at my junior high had jeans that you could fit three junior high students in. Do you remember those? <laughs> All right, you're with me. So I was in junior high, and I had started this new junior high, and I remember the popular kids <laughs> liked comic books. That seems strange, right? But I thought, that would be nice to have other friends, and so I started collecting comic books too. And my friend Casey, who I've mentioned here previously, he started collecting comics, and so we got really into comic books, so much that we would drive our bikes, and remember, I had zero supervision, zero adult supervision, and I also had a need for escape in life, so I needed something, some other world to escape to. So we would drive our bikes three or four miles to this comic store every Tuesday and pick up our comic books. And so at the time, the X-Men were starting this huge crossover event. And you may not know what a crossover event is, but a crossover event is when characters from one comic go to characters of another comic book and they interact. And so nerds love this kind of thing. <laughs> So this one was called Age of Apocalypse. I don't know if anybody was com collecting comics at the time. There we go. So Age of Apocalypse, and this was a huge crossover event, and so there were two X-Men comics every week, and so I was spending like $4.50 a week, which is not very much. So I would, go twice, I would go every Tuesday, get my two comics, and come home, and Casey and I did this, and so we talked all through. We were like, it would be so amazing, and, and we, love these. we would love it if they would make movies, and we collected X-Men, so X-Men was the big thing. And X-Men was the biggest of all the Marvel comic books. And so we loved X-Men. So we always talked about how amazing it would be if they would make a movie of X-Men. Well, in the year 2000, oh, there they are. <laughs> in the year 2000, the X-Men finally came out with a movie. And so we didn't know anything about it. The internet was still in the early phases, and so there weren't these message boards where you could find out every detail of production. So we were just stoked. We were excited. And we went, and we were whelmed, right? <laughs> the movie was not terrible, but it was not great. And so two years later, Spider-Man came out, and we were again whelmed, right? It was okay. It was not bad. And, and, and so we saw these movies, and we were kind of excited about it. We kind of enjoyed it, and we talked a lot about it. X-Men, Spider-Man both got a sequel and then a, a threequel, and so they both had three movies. X-Men movies have continued to go. Spider-Man movies have stopped, started, and started, and stopped again. So we have a third Spider-Man since then. But I remember thinking the whole time, Casey and I would talk about it, and we'd be like, wouldn't it be awesome if Spider-Man was in the same movie as X-Men? <laughs> we would talk about it, and we'd say, wouldn't it be awesome if they would make a movie that finally respected our characters? <laughs> and so, <laughs> so then they came out with a bunch of other comic book movies, <laughs> terrible ones. I, I am a huge fan <laughs> of comic books, and I didn't even see this one in the theaters because I knew how bad it was going to be ahead of time, and I was right. And this one, I, all, I did see in the theater. And let me tell you about this movie. So, so I saw this in the theater in a small town in Texas, and there was a man with a baby in his hands the whole time, and he was also on a phone call the whole time. And that improved this movie. <laughs> that made the movie better. <laughs> That's how bad this movie was. <laughs> it's Ghost Rider, if you're not familiar with it. And so I, I can't remember, that was probably 2004 or so, and so... Casey and I would talk, and we would just be like, 
we're, we're just so disappointed. Look what they've done to our beloved characters, you know. And so there was, there was some grieving on that side of it, too. And, and so what we didn't know, here's the, the behind the scenes. What we didn't know is Marvel, the comic industry, was in trouble in the 90s. They, didn't, they weren't making very much money. The Internet was kind of putting them out of business, right? And so they had to do something to stay afloat. And so they got their most popular, their most popular properties, and they sold them to stu movie studios. So X-Men got sold to 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox started making the movies for them, and they did a decent job. They didn't do great, they didn't do, they didn't do terribly. Then they sold Spider-Man, who was the other most popular, to Sony Pictures. And so they did some really bad ones, like Spider-Man 3. They did some really good ones, like Spider-Man 2. So they were uneven. And so this whole time, Marvel is selling off their properties to try to stay afloat. Ghost Rider got sold, Daredevil got sold. And, and so finally, around 2005, 2006, Marvel, the comic industry, said, we've got to do something else. They're killing all of our characters. We've got to figure out what to do. And so they, they arranged for this gigantic loan. They basically got all of their chips, and they put them on the table, and they said, we're going to make one big gamble that we can make better movies than these other guys. So they went out, and they hired a director that had not made very many movies. The only movie I know of that this director made was Elf with Will Ferrell. <laughs> Some people love that movie. It's all right to me. <laughs> he had made that. And this director then said, you know what? I know who needs to play the main character. And it was this addict. It was this guy that was struggling. His career was in the toilet. Nobody wanted to touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. And so the director staked his entire reputation on it. He said, we need this guy. They also did not have a script. The, screenwriter, the screenwriters were on strike at the time, and so they thought, we, we'll just make it up as we go. <laughs> and so they did that, and so these things all came together, and Marvel made this movie about a B-list character, and it was a smash hit. In 2008, Iron Man came out, and it, it changed everything about movies. And so I remember I was in a Batman phase, and what I mean by that is I wore this dark cape all the time, and, <laughs> no, I just loved Batman at the time. The Dark Knight had come out, and I loved that. And so they came out. This was the old one I, I've got. Uh, I'll, I'll sh don't, don't advance it yet. I'll advance the other one. Uh, so Iron Man came out, and it was a shock to everybody. We did not see this coming because we didn't know Marvel Studios was making their own movies, and they loved their characters. This kicked off a 22-movie arc where Marvel started making more money. They got bought by Disney. They made these amazing blockbusters, and, and then they brought the Avengers together. There's Iron Man, and then we've also got Thor and Hulk. <laughs> this is not from the new movie. <laughs> these are the old movies that they did, and I thought they were funny. So, so this all came together, and then finally Endgame came out, and it was a smash, right? And, and it's changed a lot of the way people view comic book movies. And, and so for me, I talk about how silly it is that I was kind of sad afterward, but it's just this natural part of life, right? I'm grieving this thing that I love. And, and we laugh about it, but I, but I also want to encourage you. When we talk about grief, there is no right and wrong with grief. It's okay to grieve a movie sometimes. We love those things, and it's okay to grieve when they happen. And so one of the things we're doing is we're starting this series on grief, and I, I loved a lot of what, so much of what Samita was talking about in, in that we, a lot of times, we feel like it's wrong to grieve, don't we? We feel like it's shameful or or that we shouldn't admit to it. And, and so today I want us to talk a little bit about why do we grieve. And, and, and one of the things I want to recognize, there is no way in this series, we're just doing three weeks, there's no way we're going to cover every angle about grief. We're going to have to come back to this, and we're going to come back to it again. And that's kind of the nature of grief. But today I just want us to kind of sit down and focus, ask ourselves, why as human beings do we grieve? What is it about us that grieves? So that is our question for this morning. And, and, and so one of the difficulties with this question 
is we don't have just a book of the Bible that says, dear humans, this is why you grieve. (laughs) There's no story that just says, dear humans, this is why you grieve. There's, There's nothing specific that says, this is why you grieve. So we have to go to different passages, and we have to read them across together, we have to read them together, we have to understand that, we have to do a little bit of theological work to, to understand that. And so the first reason I think we grieve, we grieve because life is change. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and, and Dylan and I actually had an object lesson prepared for this. <laughs> we, we, had a, we had set up all the tables and chairs in here for the supper club on Wednesday, and we were resetting them up, and we thought, let's just put one aisle down the middle and we'll rearrange all the chairs. And, and what would have happened is everyone would have come in and they would have been completely disjointed because they would have thought, where is my seat? <laughs> and, and we kind of laugh about it, but we also do kind of grieve, right, when we're forced to sit somewhere else in a worship service. It's kind of this moment of like, I don't like change, I don't want to change. So what is it that we see about change? Starting in Genesis 1.1, this is the very beginning of everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. And we see this repeat several more times, and and, and what we see in the very beginning embedded within creation is change. There's morning, there's night, there's one day, there's a next day. There's change always ongoing. And so if we think about this from a biological point of view, what would life be like if we were just always eating, right? What would life be like if we were always sleeping? We cannot always be doing one thing, can we? Life is change. It's embedded within change, but we resist change with every bit of ourselves, don't we? We don't want change. I think about this especially with churches. A lot of times we do a a terrible job of recognizing that life is change. One of the authors that I really love is a guy named Pete Scazzaro, and he has these books about emotional health. And And this is one of the things he says about us as churches. Why are endings and transitions so poorly handled in our ministries? Why do we often miss God's new beginnings, the new work he is doing? We miss seeing what is ahead in part because we fail to apply a central theological truth that death is a necessary prelude to resurrection. There had to be evening for there to be the next morning. There had to be a sunset to be sunrise the next day, and there has to be death in order to be resurrection. And, and this is true in church, too. Sometimes we let old programs die because we need a new program. And a lot of times we hold on so tightly that we don't ever get the nice new thing that God is wanting to do. Because life is change, and we have to grieve change, right? And we don't want to do that a lot of times. Second reason why do we grieve We grieve because our creator grieves. And this is a place where we see this real conflict. Western philosophy, there's this guy by the name of Aristotle, and he lived a long time ago. And he said, (laughs) if there is a God, if there's a creator God, he was very similar to Thomas Jefferson, the deist that we talked about a few weeks ago, but he said, if there is a creator God, then he has to be an unmoved mover. God cannot grieve, he cannot be sad, he cannot experience any kind of emotions. He has to be an unmoved mover. And that's what Aristotle said in this is a real contest between Aristotle and our Bible. <laughs> we find in Genesis chapter 6, if you want to turn with me, God has created everything. Genesis chapter 3, human beings decide to sin. They decide to be apart from God. We see creation is kind of falling apart. Finally, in Genesis chapter 6, we're looking at verses 5 and 6, and, and to me, I've read, I think I've read every single verse in the Bible, <laughs> 
these are the two saddest in the entire Bible to me. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. In contrast to this Western philosophy, unmoved mover, we find in the Old Testament a God who is deeply grieved by human behavior. We find a God who grieves and hurts. In John chapter 11, we find a Jesus who is very similar. You don't have to turn there. It's, anybody know the verse I'm thinking of, John 11? Jesus wept, right? <laughs> so we find Jesus, and he is too late to, to save his friend Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And, and in that moment, we all know that Jesus knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus, right? But he still weeps. He still grieves. And so a lot of times we view weeping, we view grieving as this downfall of ourselves. We view it as a lack. We view it like, if I only knew my theology better, if I only trusted God better, I wouldn't have to grieve like everyone else. But Jesus had the best theology of anyone who's ever had theology, and he wept. And so we see a God, we see a creator who grieves, we see a Jesus who grieves, and we are created in his image, so of course we also grieve. We grieve because our creator grieves. So if we grieve because life is change, life is never stopping changing, we grieve because our creator grieves, underneath both of those things, we grieve because we love. The foundation of all that is we grieve because we love. My friend Jay, who's uh, just kind of a mentor to me, he always talks about how close the line is in his heart. He feels like it's a malfunction, but how close the line in his, in his heart between joy and grief is. He talks about how there's always this sadness that tinges his joy. And, and I think that's true for all of us, isn't it? <laughs> we think about we're, we're here on Mother's Day, and, and so we're celebrating mothers, but we also recognize the difficulty that a lot of people have with this day. We celebrate Mother's Day, and, and mothers and fathers know how when your kid does something, there's also some grief to that, right? They take their first step, but then you also are grieving that a little bit. Because you love them so much, you see this amazing thing, and you're joyful, but you're also grieving, you're also sad a little bit. We grieve because we love, and this is the image of God that comes through for us. And so a lot of times we feel this temptation to think that we lack, and that's why we grieve. But I want to encourage you that grief reveals the image of God within us. It reveals this love that he's implanted within us. And so I, I laugh about how much I love the Marvel movies. <laughs> but we all love things, right? And that's not always a bad thing. God created the universe, and he loves the universe. He created us, and he loves us. And so loving is part of grief. And so Orson Scott Card, who, if you're a nerd like me, you're going to know who that is. But <laughs> he says, life is full of grief to the de exactly the degree we allow ourselves to love other people. This is the truth of the matter. This is, grief ought not to be a shame for us. It ought to be a crown. Grief is a recognition of how deeply, how truly, how amazingly we can love. And so when we ask ourselves, why do we grieve? <laughs> My hope is that we come away from this saying, we grieve because we love. We grieve because we love. And so we're going to take a couple more weeks and we're going to kind of uh, develop this a little bit. We're going to kind of ask ourselves, what does it look like to grieve well? What does it look like to grieve in our world? But, but I want to encourage you, the biggest component to grieving well is grieving with other people. This love needs to be shared, and this grief needs to be shared. And so we're going we're gonna to explore that a little bit more as we go. But, but 
but intentionally today we're, we're a little bit short because we're starting this series on grief. And so I want to encourage you to ruminate on that. Next time you're tempted to feel like you lack something, next time you're tempted to feel like, oh, I should be ashamed because I'm sad, I want to encourage you. You ought to feel excited. You ought to feel encouraged. God gave you this wonderful capacity to love, and that is why you grieve. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we are so in awe of the, the things that you've created us to do. Lord, you have created us in your image, and that image needs to love. And so, Lord, we pray that we would love well, even though the price of that love is grief. Pray that we would embrace one another to the degree that we know that we will also grieve. Lord, we love you. Pray that you would help us to grieve well. In your name I pray.